I think we can all agree that these are strange times. Social distancing has brought with it a number of challenges, including, of course, the need to study at home. As parents, many of us might be wrangling with this duality of parenting versus schooling. But could it be that our role during this brief period in their school careers is to focus less on the facts and the figures and more on their personal development? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, the founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this series, I talk to a range of experts, parents and students about how to get the most out of studying at home, from nutrition to sleep and from stress to mental health. We'll be exploring how best to support young people. There'll be a new episode out every Friday morning, so subscribe, review and don't be afraid to share with others who you think might benefit from what our experts are saying. Today, I have the great pleasure of talking to internationally recognised parenting expert, Sue Atkins. As well as being a broadcaster, speaker and author, you will quite often hear or see Sue on radio or TV, proffering her insights and opinions. And now, Sue can add guest on our humble podcast to her list of accolades. Sue, thank you so much for joining me today. I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about your school days, uh, sort of what kind of student were you, your favourite subject, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Uh, I was a conscientious student. I liked school. I loved reading. And it's funny how a teacher can actually really take you on a different path. I remember it was Mrs Bulger, who was the English teacher, who who sort of encouraged me. And, and then I started to really enjoy uh, writing and doing all sorts of things. But that, you know, but generally speaking, I was hardworking, conscientious and enjoyed school. It's interesting you talk about teachers, um, how teachers can take pupils on a um, particular path and inspire them in, um, in one way or another. Mm. We're in this obviously strange time, uncharted waters, um, we might say. Ah, I've heard someone say that before. <laughs> someone very wise. <laughs> um, <laughs> where we are, where, where the parents are taking on more of a this sort of a teaching role. Do you think that there's anything that that parents should be focusing on to sort of pick up that slack, if you like, where, where teachers aren't maybe necessarily able to focus on, on that inspirational element? I think it's about being a great mum and dad and being a great parent, not necessarily being a great teacher during this time. This is a very short period in a child's actual whole life and you want them to look back at this time with possibly good memories, not anxious memories and copious amounts of worksheets. Uh, I think it's very important that children come through this time with good mental health and well-being. You can always catch up on your studies if you really, really need to. Uh, So I think parents as well need to cut themselves some slack. Uh, As a former deputy head and class teacher for over 22 years, uh, now everyone's seeing that it wasn't just long summer holidays and isn't it easy. There is quite a skill to teaching and Mm. as well as inspiring children. But I genuinely think that parents should do what they can if they want to use this time to broaden a child's learning and to maybe deepen it because children can develop a real interest in something that they hadn't necessarily learnt at school that would carry them forward into their lives. So we have become very data orientated in the past before what I call the reset button uh, in education and we had become obsessed with league tables. So I'm kind of hoping that once we are through this over the next year or so, things may change in education, that we are not solely focused on those sort of 
data obsessed kind of teaching to the test type thing and that we can embrace learning in its broader sense because really we should be trying to inspire children and young people to become lifelong learners because that's really what it's all about that kind of growth mindset as you say i think we do look at school as as part of the grade system part of the how well did you do in this test how much more homework have you got to do and very much about that that knowledge acquisition and learning do you think there's a balance to be struck between parenting and schooling oh yes of course um the initial period was we were just shocked weren't we everything got locked down everything got stopped and then you get right down to maslow's hierarchy of needs really which is survival And then, of course, as we come out of lockdown, as we come through this troubled time, then you come into, you know, what is important again. And of course, studying and learning and developing that side of things is important and to keep it going. But what I'm suggesting, because I get inundated with parents anxious about homeschooling at the moment, is to try and keep it in a sense of perspective and balance so you don't make your children anxious and as we step through this period then of course we do go back to looking at children's education and one of the interesting things I was doing and for about nine months before this happened is I've been doing a primary to secondary program for schools for teachers for parents and families and children around you know creating a whole wealth of videos a lots of sort of checklists and chatting and getting a child ready i call it a journal uh on the way into the new school because it's a major life change really a major milestone going from primary school to secondary school and of course children walked out in march and said goodbye to their friends in year 6 and they were uncertain when they were going to walk back and into where were they walking back into their primary school or were they going to be walking straight back in in September into their secondary school without all the sort of the nurturing and all the emotional support, not just the academic support, getting them ready for that, you know, very big change. Because it's a bit like saying, oh, I'm just going off to move to New Zealand. I mean, that's quite a big change of lifestyle. And for some children, that transition can be quite difficult and they don't hit the ground running and they find that whole kind of few months of transition difficult so we were looking at all of that aspect and we were kind of working we still are but we haven't been filming just at the moment because we haven't quite finished the module uh, around supporting children so it's very interesting now that um, the government have said you know that they're looking at year six returning they're looking at the infant sort of area of children returning I've been fascinated to listen to the debates on BBC this morning all around the difficulties because I used to teach 35 four-year-olds in my previous life as a former deputy head and class teacher for over those 20 years and that's going to be very difficult to uh, keep children apart and to also make sure that they wash their hands very thoroughly so there's all sorts of issues and what I found very interesting is the government have said that but it's up to each individual head suddenly. They only just see the news just like everybody else. They don't get any sort of lead up or pre-knowledge. And then they're battling how we're we actually logistically going to do that with uh, 35, four-year-olds. What, what are we going to do to keep them apart? Do we stagger their entry? How do we keep the learning going? And how do we help them when they go out on the playground and they want to play with each other and touch each other and hug each other because they haven't seen each other for a couple of months it's going to be a challenge isn't it for all of the the children going back to school Mm, absolutely as you say it's it's in the nature of children that age to want to run around or to be close that proximity thing but i wonder now whether you think that actually a return to school for those older ones might also be quite big 
I wonder whether we'll transition out of lockdown um, as well as maybe we transitioned in. I think it's far more difficult to transition out. Uh, I also know that I had parents pulling their hair out because their teens weren't taking it seriously and not weren't at the beginning staying in because they realised, quite rightly so, that they weren't particularly the most vulnerable group. But we didn't also understand and know about how they may be spreading it. And uh, that was a difficult time. And, you know, some some teens were missing their friends. Some were up very late and not sleeping because they were on social media and connecting all night with each other. So it's been a challenging time for mental health, I think, all round. And so I suppose walking out through lockdown will be quite difficult. But if you are going to start doing it, hopefully young people, you can explain why things are happening, put in new kind of ways of being. I think we're all going to have to get used to, you know, being two metres apart from all sorts of people when we're working. And I hope that young people will, of course, embrace the changes. And I think they will do. And as we go forward, sort of make sure that their mental health and well-being is okay. Exams are part of that and studying is part of it. And it's also something you can get your teeth into as well. If you're worried or anxious, it's good to get your teeth into something uh, around studying, perhaps, as well, and things that you're interested in, because that's very good for you rather than just be aimlessly on social media all the time. So having having a task, having a, a job or a goal that needs to be fulfilled is is one of the ways that the, these young people might well um, adapt back in. Do you think there are other traits that students or young people will need to successfully go back to school? I think you also, yes, you need to have a goal, don't you? I'm a great believer in vision boards. And, you know, I think a dream is a goal with a date. If you create a vision board, I do it every year. And I think young people, it would be, it's really, I wish I could see more of that in schools. The idea of, well, this is the reason why you're studying this, because you want to do that and you want to become that or you want to go there and do this. So it's a means to an end, you know, work backwards from the goal, what you want to perhaps be uh, when you leave school or do because uh, that gives meaning to your learning you know many young people say well I don't understand I remember saying I don't know why I'm learning sine and cosine because I'm never going to use this in my real life <laughs> and it turned out to be true actually and I'm not a fan of maths if I'm very honest I don't like it maths I find it difficult but if you knew you had to have a certain uh, level of something or you you know you want to do this job or you want to be an entrepreneur or whatever it is so you need the skills then you can see the purpose to it I think and that gives you a, a lift when you hit a plateau and you feel a bit stuck and you think oh I don't know and I think that's why I like what you're doing the study buddy thing is about taking down overwhelm because certainly for young people when they have a lot of study I remember it when I was doing my O levels and uh, I used to break my day down into you know bite-sized bits so that I felt that um, I didn't get overwhelmed with one subject more than the other but I tended to do the um, the thing I didn't like doing first and then reward myself with the thing I did like doing and I would put in at the end of a day something I could look forward to that would relax me and make the day you know fun uh, and that's why I think the study buddy is quite good because it's or very good because it shows you visually whether you're maybe you know spending too much time on one particular subject and you need to actually spread it out a little bit and and work out what you need to do so it takes away the overwhelm I naturally happened for some reason I think to do that but I do know when I'm coaching teenagers that they can get very overwhelmed and if the school doesn't actually 
teach you how to learn or how to plan your timetable, then of course you can get yourself swamped and you don't try. You procrastinate or you get angry or you kick off or you just don't bother. And I know one of the impressive things of my son's school is I remember they taught them how to study and how to break up their time to make it, you know, a good use of time and a balance. Absolutely. I think within that, the the idea of scheduling, so what we always encourage um, students and, and their families to do is to is to block out the time that they want to spend doing something else because then you've got that thing that you want to look forward to and also you know that it's not just about studying it's not the the downside as, as a lot of students would see it but a balance of light and shade if you like Yes, and that eat that frog, you know, do the thing perhaps that you don't like doing. It's done first thing in the morning. If you don't like biology or something, do your 45 minutes of studying around it because then you feel great and then you feel your kind of energy up and your confidence is up because you feel good that you've done something. And then you go on to, you know, whatever else you've planned. And it's it's often a good idea to have breaks as well and do something physical as well away from the mental stuff. And as we've said, have little small goals that lift your spirit and keep you going, keep you motivated. Otherwise, you can get a bit overwhelmed by it all. And then you, you just don't look forward to it and the whole thing becomes a negative spiral. So look for ways to reward yourself to make it kind of pleasurable as you go through it. And actually, I remember when I was doing my A-levels, I think, that I became so knowledgeable about certain aspects of some subject I was studying. I did English, uh, political science and history. But I loved the fact that my brain was buzzing with lots of information as well. It felt like I could take in even more. So you start to get into a place where you become knowledgeable and that builds your confidence as well. And the success of knowing that you're working your way through a plan buoys you to do more as well, I find. Yes, and seeing it visually like you do on the study buddy, I find is really encouraging because it sort of shows you where you've been and where you're going and how much progress you're making so that I find that motivational. So I think it's great from that point of view as well. I think that combined with, as you were talking about earlier, the goal, the big aspiration, if you like, or I'm sure it's um, it's a Jim Collins book um, that looked at how businesses can set up their core values. And he talked about a, a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And that's <laughs> this, this thing that in 30 years' time, it would be great if you were doing this. And it shouldn't necessarily be easy um, or necessarily even strictly possible but it's something that motivates what it is that you're doing so you know that this step that I'm doing now my GCSEs will take me on to this next step which might be going into the world of work or um, further education and so on and that actually the thing itself is less important it's the journey that you're on to get oh, to yeah. this thing you aspire to i mean a lot of people talk about that i'm trained by tony robbins and paul mckenna and i like jim rowan and the idea of setting a goal and actually one of the books i'm rereading during lockdown is the success principles by jack canfield and know your why by simon sinek and i find knowing your why to be fantastic for people so even for young people listening or parents listening to this, if, if people know why they're doing something, then that can motivate them towards keeping that big goal. And you have a big goal. I always have a big goal. But I take very small steps daily, weekly, monthly, yearly towards that. Because otherwise, if you 
have it and you don't feel you're making progress, then you can get very discouraged. And I know when I get discouraged, because my goals are very big and they're, they're very large compared to a lot of my friends, not, you know, I hang out with people that are like-minded, but also my, my other friends I've known for 30 years don't always think like I do, think big and all the rest of it. Um, but when I get demotivated, one of the key things I do is take action. So if I just sit there and, you know, procrastinate, then I go around in circles and feel demoralized. So I always go and do something. So if you're worried about your maths and you just sit there worrying about it, actually sitting down and studying something for 10 or 15 minutes until you kind of get the hang of it makes you feel more empowered. So therefore you feel better. So it's a virtuous circle. And build your confidence as well do you find that 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 self-confidence and confidence is so key in our young people well confidence is my big thing it underpins everything I write about broadcast and uh, talk about because I as a deputy head I became very interested in personal social health education I went off and trained with Jenny Molesley uh, and then I became very interested in self-esteem and confidence because if children have a belief in themselves if they have confidence not an arrogance but a natural you know self-bubbly belief in themselves they can go on to be do and have anything they want in life whereas you won't settle for an awful job you won't settle in that relationship because you have confidence in yourself and you just that you are worthy and that you deserve the best or whatever so I think self-esteem and self-confidence is why I started doing what I do all those years ago because I realized it was the parents that give their kids the ultimate gift of self-esteem because they nurture them right from the beginning from when they're babies to toddlers right the way through their lives by the words they use the things they say and the way they act and I noticed that if parents weren't self-confident they weren't really passing on that self-confidence to their children so I wrote uh, the can-do kids journal a few years ago and it's just been published now in a reformatted way called um, the can-do kids journal discover your confidence superpower and I'm really pleased with it because it's got all sorts of exercises and activities and fun stuff for young people to get stuck into that will actually build their confidence because I think confidence and self-esteem certainly is a muscle you can be confident in one area of your life and not so confident in another and that can be all through your life so it's about remembering just like you go out and exercise or ride your bike, you actually have to build yourself confidence and remember and take a snapshot and see how am I doing on this? What is it I need to do to, to make myself feel more confident about that? And remembering that some aspects of your life, you get better at it by just doing it. I remember when I left teaching and was asked to write my first book, I remember walking down to the stables where I had my office and I remember actually I did it every day uh, for about six to eight months. And then I walked down one day and I thought, oh, I'm a writer. And it sort of just dropped into my head because I had been writing for about six months every day. And therefore, I wasn't necessarily a teacher or whatever it was. I felt that I had become a writer. So you just do it by practice and you get better at it. It's like with toddlers, when they start to walk, they get up, they fall over. They don't stay down and go, oh, I'm not a walker. They get back up and toddle along again and fall over and get back up. That's resilience. That's tenacity and that's stickability. And we all develop that. You don't end up being a great tap dancer, you know, the first time you do it or a great golfer the first time you pick up a putt uh, or a, a golf club. You, you get better by practice. And so I think that's a really important thing for people to know, that you need to stick at something and then you master it. You don't want to dabble. 
in certain things. You sometimes want to go a bit deeper. When you plateau and get stuck, keep going because otherwise you can just be dabbling in stuff and never really mastering it. I think the analogy of toddlers walking is brilliant in that you can see as parents your role in that. As you say, the the toddler falls down and the parents say, come on, we'll try again, just get two steps to daddy or, or, mm. or whatever it might be to encourage them to carry on. As parents, do you think we lose that as our children get a little bit older? Do you think that we, we suddenly stop their self-belief? You can be anything you want to, and then all of a sudden, you actually, maybe you need to be a bit more realistic. I remember a conversation with my son where he always wanted to be a footballer. He was determined he was going to play for Arsenal. And I remember the difficult conversation to say, maybe not. And I don't mean he was um, young, but maybe, maybe not. Maybe you won't get to Arsenal. Maybe you need a backup plan. Um, fortunately, his backup plan was, in which case, I'll play for Yeovil. <laughs> so he was, he was still determined he would do something. He may have missed the point a little, but maybe that was a good thing. I don't know. It's very difficult, isn't it? You don't want to dampen your children's dreams. And we have, you know, a lot of people uh, set goals and end up not kind of pursuing them. And it's not always easy. And not everyone reaches the top of the tree and becomes whatever they, they set their mind to. But, it, it, you know, if you keep believing in yourself and it adapts and you don't want to make a child feel, oh, well, don't be silly. Let's be realistic. Because Ian Wright had a bad old start. I don't know if you've ever listened to his podcast on Desert Island Discs, you know, and he had an enormous talent as well. But my goodness me, did he have some setbacks and difficulties? And I know because kids, you know, they have dreams about being footballers or sometimes I think X Factor has a lot to answer for because people just think that they can turn up and win something and, and mm. they're going to be set for life. I'm a great mm -hmm. believer in setting a goal. And it's who you become, as Jim Rowan says, it's who you become on the journey to that goal, actually, that's the important part, not necessarily uh, reaching the goal. Also, you know, as kids grow, they decide, oh, I really like sport. I could be a sports manager then. I could work in, a, in an environment where sport would be part of my life in my job, not necessarily playing for Arsenal, which is, you know, not a great team to be playing for anyway. should be supporting Chelsea. But apart from that, it's about kids trying to follow their dreams, not giving up on them. And I know what you mean, though, this idea that when you're very young, you, you have sort of perhaps naive dreams, but you can adapt them. You keep changing them and you can see sort of children evolve and grow towards them. So you don't want people to be disillusioned and you certainly don't want to quash a child's belief in themselves. You just need to sort of encourage them when they have setbacks and keep believing, I suppose, and keep dreaming. Mm. And also maybe look at what that what that goal, albeit maybe unrealistic, what it represents and what it stands for, because that can reveal so much more about their personality. It's it's what underlies that that goal of being a footballer or um, maybe, as you say, not an X Factor winner. But actually, what, what sits underneath it that can reveal so much about their values and about what's important to them? And I think if you follow your interests, that's the best thing. I mean, I don't really feel I've done a day's work in my life. I always wanted to be a teacher from the age of five. I remember I did an exercise in Florida on a Tony Robbins workshop, uh, Date with Destiny, and I discovered that even since I was five, I wanted to be a teacher or a journalist. Now, isn't life extraordinary? I didn't mm. know, but look at that path that I have taken. I was a teacher, and then it's now led me to writing and broadcasting and doing all the different things that I now do around that and being 
sort of almost like a journalist for some of the articles I write for magazines. So it's interesting that, you know, if you follow your your passions and your interests as well, it would be rather lovely that you could combine them into a job. It's like my friend Nick, who's very talented, very artistic, and he loves plants. And he went off to college and studied and he became a, a designer. And he's won some awards, you know, for Chelsea uh, Gardens and all sorts of things. But he also describes that he's never really done a day's work either because he followed his passions. So we, the, the interesting thing about passions is we don't all have the same one. So it's really interesting when I coach kids around setting goals, helping them get back up from hurdles and get round them or get over the obstacles that they will face at times. Uh, to follow something that they're interested in. That's rather nice if you're lucky enough to have that. Uh, but it's nice to talk to kids about that because I remember doing an exercise in a school, year six actually, and I was doing some goal setting with the whole class um, because that's the sort of thing I love to do. And this young man got up and he was walking. I do it physically. He got up, he explained what he was doing. I said, well, so what do you need to do to be, become that? I think you want to be a lawyer. Uh, and then we started off, well, I need to, you know, I'm in year six, I need to get, this A level or O level or we started small so I had to do this when I get to secondary then I'll have to choose those and then I have to do this and we carried on and we carried on we got to wherever it was and then I was just about to get him to turn around and look back at how far he'd come he said oh but I think you've forgotten that I actually want to run my own business as well I went oh I'm sorry and I realized I'd put a limit on him un unintentionally and then we took that further step he turned around he looked back and then he saw all the different steps that he had taken to become this person who ran his own business and did what he wanted to do. And he just, you know, felt so good about that. And you just know that suddenly you're unconscious. I've put something into his unconscious that actually he could work towards very small steps towards perhaps longer, you know, a longer time of doing something that he really wanted to do. So, yeah, I'm a great believer in goal setting. I think it really helps kids focus down on where they want to go in life. Mm. Well, also, that the, um, the proverb of how do you eat the elephant one bite at a time. So back to this idea of big goals, but small steps. And we all need a champion, don't we? You know, when you're, you're young as well, and even when you're old, you need someone to believe in you a bit and to encourage you when you falter. So it's always a good idea to have people around. You've got to look who you hang out with. Because as Jim Rowan, who I read a lot, and um, I used to listen to his CDs in the car, uh, he said, you know, you want to look at the five people around you. What have they got you doing? What have they got you reading? What have they got you thinking? Because if you're hanging out with people who smoke, you're, you're probably going to end up smoking. If you hang out with people who nick cars, you're probably going to do that. If you hang out with people who are kind to neighbours and, you know, deliver groceries to them at the moment, then you've, you're kind of hanging out with the people that are positive. So you've got to sort of look at that. And we all hang out with sometimes mood hoovers and people who mean well and we know them very well and we've been around them for many years. But sometimes you have to sort of think of, yeah, you know, they drain, they, they do drain my energy. So I don't quite see them quite so often and if I do uh, when they start on this negative frame of mind I will probably come back with a oh but it is a lovely day today actually and it is rather good the things that we're learning through lockdown about being kind and spending time with the family so you reframe and it's not being happy clappy Pollyanna it is choosing to see the good in people it's choosing to be grateful it's choosing to have a sort of a positive outlook and I have an exercise in my can-do kids journal around linking it to toothbrush. You know, in the morning when you brush your teeth, you look in the mirror and you say, I am special because, 
and you do that every day and it's not arrogant people can't hear you but you dig a little deeper you know I'm good at sport I'm kind to my grandma I'm a great brother I you know I'm good at football and then in the evening when you brush your teeth you you talk about to yourself I am grateful for the hot dinner, the laugh we had in the garden, you know, my family, whatever it is. And the more you do these things about having an attitude of gratitude and, and noticing what you actually are good at and celebrating that, you you develop resilience, tenacity and good well-being and strong mental health. And there's been loads of studies around that. So that's a very simple couple of techniques that I use with young people to help them be robust. Many thanks, Sue, for an incredible journey through parenting, confidence and passion. Transitioning from one stage to another is tough for all of us, but it's felt more keenly by our young people. Whether that's starting school, moving to secondary, or perhaps now rejoining a normal life, it's natural to be anxious and even apprehensive to a certain extent. But we've just heard from Sue that how we act, the behaviours we model, may have a significant impact on how our children respond to those milestone challenges. Building their confidence, helping them to find their passions and nurturing a love of learning are important and unseen functions of school that as parents we now need to address. And maybe by helping our young people to identify their big goals and the small steps that might get them there, we can help them to unlock their potential. As always, my thanks to you for listening to the Study Sessions podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to Sue and found it as interesting as I did. And if you did, please leave us a review and a rating. And remember, there's a new episode every Friday. So please don't forget to subscribe. And of course, share with other people who you think might get something out of what our experts say.